Hi everyone, and welcome to Happy Paws, presented by FearFreeHappyHomes.com. Happy Paws is a podcast by pet lovers for pet lovers. We take a scientific and evidence-backed approach to helping you understand your pet on a deeper level. In this episode, we're joined by Tabitha Kusera, licensed veterinary technician and a leading voice in cat behavior and enrichment. We'll be talking about ways you can connect more deeply with your cat, how to give them the enriching life they deserve, and of course, some useful tips to improve both of your lives. Well, Tabitha, what a joy to have you here today. I'm super excited to talk all about cats. So Tabitha, I want to hear, like you are, when I think of cat experts, you are like the first person that comes to mind. You are amazing. I love the way that you explain different concepts that could be really complex and you break it down for people, make it doable for them, for their cats. And what I want to talk to you about is all about ways that we can improve our interactions and just everything that we have with our cat from like how we do our relationship and build that trust to how we can more safely and easily perform care and also tackling some of those top behavior issues that people face. So are you ready to dig into this? Yes. I am honored that you think of me when you think of cats and cat behavior. I'm not going to lie. I do love cats uh, and everything cat behavior because they're so few resources out there, which is actually what got me into cat behavior as a vet tech. And thankfully it's getting better. Fear Free has some great resources and we're learning more and more about cats every day. Oh my gosh. So well said. So if someone from today's talk, if they have just one big takeaway, what is your main message you want to make sure that, that people understand? I would say all cats are individuals. I think we know that, but then when it comes to behavior concerns or frustrations that people may have with their cat's behavior, they kind of forget that every cat's an individual and behavior is complex. And then cats don't act out of spite, y'all. Uh, even though that's a common thing I hear, cats don't feel spite. Humans, us lovely humans, even though I love us, we act out of spite. Cats and dogs don't. So that would be the biggest takeaway I would probably want people to have because they'll probably approach their cat's behavior concerns with more empathy if they actually acknowledge my cat's not doing this to prove they're angry at you or out of spite. There's usually a stress-related or even medical reason to why they're performing that behavior. What are some of the top behaviors that you see people blaming out of spite that their cat's doing that because they're angry or upset or whatever it might be? Well, the three most common behavior concerns I see as a behavior consultant is most likely similar to what I hear people say. They kind of humanize their cats and say, they feel angry, this is why, is probably house soiling. So urinating and defecate and or defecating outside of the litter box. Aggression, which that's a broad label. Um, I like to describe behavior and not use labels, but we see a lot of fear-based, pain-induced, petting-induced. There's a lot of different types of aggression. And lastly, their cat being, I hear this less, but the third most common behavior issue I see is probably my cat's just overall fearful and shy. And caregivers want their cats to be comfortable, not only with their environment, but with them. So 
those are probably the most common things I see. And that spite word gets thrown around a lot with house soiling and aggression. So instead of spite, what are the common reasons behind why the cat does what they do? And maybe we can even dig into each of those issues that you mentioned. I'd love to talk more about those. Yeah, I think probably I would say if I had to, like, this is the most common issues. Behavior is complex. Mikhail knows, but behavior is complex. And we want to look at a lot of things. Like, for example, what's whether it's house soiling or aggression, I have my clients keep journals to help identify the why. Always ask WTF, what's the function? You guys thought I was going to say something else. Um, (laughs) There's a function to behavior. So one of the things that we can start to do is keep a journal. What was happening before and or after that? Where was that house soiling accident? Or was your cat acting aggressive when a guest came over? Um, So I think a big part of identifying and resolving or managing those behavior concerns is identifying the why, which can be hard to do sometimes. And I think a lot of environmental and social factors contribute to those behavior issues. So some of the more common things I see, lack of enriched environment, stressors, and guys, stressors can be caused by a lot of things. My mom is awesome, but you guys, I still have quite a lot of stress. Um, So this can include the interactions you have with your cat, but also outdoor sounds, the other animals in the home. We have to consider that. Uh, Another common reason I would see, this is more related to the litter box, but inappropriate litter box setup. So the cat's general litter box setup isn't appropriate, which I think a lot of that That information isn't really out there, so I understand why I see that so commonly. And then the last thing I would say is just lack of enrichment. So outlets for cats to be cats. They're prey and predator animals, and it's really important for us to allow them to attack and kill things, not real animals, but we can do that through puzzle feeders or wand toy play, interactive toys. I mean, there's so many ways to allow a cat to be a cat. So I want to dig into some of those those topics that you talked about. So when it comes to a cat that's fearful and they're becoming stressed, so what are some of the the main triggers? You mentioned some of those some sounds, uh, maybe uh, certain people they want their cat to be friendlier. Like what are the the you know I know that we talk a lot as trainers about socialization. Like how does that impact how cats become? And what are some things that that we can do about that and how maybe that impacts cats today where there is that lack or um, that limited meeting of that need in terms of helping prepare them for later life? And, you know, how can we help them in kittenhood and maybe even into adulthood if we already have a cat that's maybe sort of a shy guy or girl? So that's a great point as far as what can we do with kittens to help set them up for success. So We all know about puppy classes or puppy socialization. What we don't commonly hear about as often, which I don't know why, uh, is kitten socialization or kitten kindergarten. Now, these classes aren't super common. We're trying to spread the word. I have kitten kindergarten classes. A lot of vet clinics are starting to have these classes and trainers are starting to offer this service. But even if you don't have a kitten kindergarten class near you, when it comes to a kitten's key socialization period, which it is a little limited, it's two to seven weeks, but it can spread to 14 weeks, which is because most of us don't have kittens 
at that age, unless you guys are fosters, which we love you. And you have an opportunity to really teach these kittens life skills, which is essentially what kitten socialization is. And that's when we expose the kitten to various types of stimuli in a controlled setting. So you're not just like, hey, friends, come over. Hey, bring your dog. Hey, kids, go pet the cat. Um, I'm going to walk my cat by a horse. That's not, exposure is not socialization. So socialization is all about exposing your cats to different stimuli and things, but in a positive controlled setting. So that cat should be, that kitten should be exhibiting minimal to no stress. So essentially that's why I say controlled. So in kin kindergarten class, for example, I do have a, a I have kid friends um, of my amazing adult friends. And what they do is they just sit and color while the kittens are playing. So to start that thing, which is a kid, that new stimuli, just sits at a distance. And then by the third kitten kindergarten class, the, the kid on cue, because they're great, uh, and we practice this a lot to help set the kid up for success too, I say, run through the kitten kindergarten class. And then I might add, run through the kitten kindergarten class and be a kid, like yell bubbles or, or things. So we add that kid being a kid. So that kitten can, we pair it with good stuff, play, reward, like food reinforcers, lots of different things, while also assessing that kitten's body language to make sure that there's minimal to no stress. So kitten kindergarten, in a perfect world, every cat would go through some kitten socialization exercises, because again, that really essentially is life skills to help the common things we hear. My cat becomes really anxious and fearful, and some cat can even cats can even start house soiling when their caregivers leave. And that's not out of spite. And generally it's due to the change in their structure and the change in their day. And then they get a stress related, maybe cystitis, which is a very painful inflammation of the bladder. So that stress actually causes a medical issue. Or again, you may get another animal. Guys, if that cat has zero experiences, that's essentially negative experience. Um, so, so many people are like, I'll get another cat or I'll get a dog. And they just kind of throw them together. And especially if that kitten had no or negative experiences with other animals or even guys with hats and beards and all these things where dogs tend to be fearful of. And it's because they had either no or negative experiences. So kitten socialization for all life skills will really help to set up cats for success for the majority of their life. And if you have your cat and you maybe adopted a one-year-old cat, hooray, and they're out of that key socialization period, which is where they're they're learning about life, they're forming bonds, they may startle but recover quickly, but they can't stay that way forever because just like with humans, you want them to not go in front of the bear. <laughs> Fear does serve a response, uh, just like I want to be afraid of cars and not run in the middle of the street. Um, so if your cat is older than that, I think as far as ways to help set them up for success and maybe even manage or resolve some of these common behavior concerns is essentially identifying triggers that's more with fear and shyness. So if, you're, if you notice your cat gets scared when you bring your friend's dog over, you know what we're going to do? We're going to manage that and not put our cat 
we're going to identify their triggers and not put them in front of their triggers if we can control it. And we're going to create safe places for our cat. Let's say you, I understand you may want to have friends over and your cat may have fear or stress when your friends come over. So I'm not saying don't ever let friends over, but let's create a safe space for your cat, not only vertical spaces and hiding places, but actually, especially if there's aggressive behavior due to the fear or stress related to guests coming over, safety first and management. So we're going to create a safe place for our cats, which may be a bedroom, it may be the basement, and we're going to lure or give up, like lure with treats or a puzzle toy or a toy, the cat to that room. Ideally, we want that to be a choice, 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 and not picking them up and bringing them there. And then you're going to give them good stuff in there, maybe play some calming music to kind of drown out some of that stressful stimuli, close the window shades, and then again, give them something awesome, like an interactive puzzle toy or uh, interactive automatic toy that you just press a button. And what you're going to do is you're not going to only place the cat in there when the trigger's over. We have to create that safe place. If you put your cat in a room and they're scratching and stressed out with a door closed because they're not used to that, we're going to work on that first before we say, we're going to bring you, because then it it's from the cat's perspective is I'm scared and stressed and now I'm placed in a room and this is not a safe place. I'm scared and stressed. Really, really good points. A, a couple questions I have as you were talking, you brought up so many great things there. So one of my first questions is when you're teaching your clients to look at a cat's body language, what do you look for as main signs of that, that stress response, fear, anxiety, and stress? What do you look at in terms of body language that shows a happy, relaxed cat? So a happy, relaxed cat, I mean, we, our heart rate goes down when we see a happy, relaxed cat. We see that beautiful almond-shaped eye because as they get more excited, but also fearful and stressed, that that almond-shaped eye becomes round and their pupils may even become dilated and round. We, with a happy, relaxed cat, we see that beautiful princess tail or question mark tail. I like the princess tail, waved tail. Um, the body language is loose and wiggly. So not necessarily as wiggly as we see with a dog, but as your cat is resting or laying down, their limbs and tail are away from them. They are like loosey goosey, relaxing. We've all seen that beautiful cat. Some cats may even go on their back and lay on their back, which is such a sign of relaxation be, and not a sign to pet their belly, just heads up. Um, <laughs> because when a cat's on their back, they're prey predator animals, guys. And although you love your cat and you're not going to attack them, it's instinctual that they feel like they may be attacked by other animals because of that prey predator. So by them laying on their back, they're saying, I'm so comfortable in this environment. I'm exposing all my vital organs. I know it sounds weird, but it's just the truth to be attacked. <laughs> so that's why we don't pet a kitty in their belly. Cause that's actually, which is why some cats may actively just run away when you do that, or actually start bunny kicking your hand, which we don't want to reinforce either. But we also, that's that cat showing I'm really relaxed and a good, a good identifier for a very relaxed kitty. And then also Overall, just a soft face. So sometimes it's really hard to see tension in the face and body, but as you guys look, you'll start to notice it. 
and their ears tend to be forward and their whiskers actually, yes, your whiskers, your cat's whiskers tell you a lot. When they are sitting in the middle of their face, kind of where they naturally sit and not highly spread out, that's a relaxed, content kitty. A couple questions I have too. So sometimes people will say, I'm petting my cat. And I mean, the belly example is a great one where, you know, I love your explanation of why why not to do that? Uh, but sometimes people will think, okay, I was petting my cat and it's not always with the cat on their back. It could just be they're petting their cat and all of a sudden the, the cat turns and bites them and they think, oh, the cat bit out of nowhere, you know, seemed happy. Like what are some of those signs that might show the cat is getting agitated before they actually go into that, that scratch or bite? That is a really good point. It's very rare, guys, as a behavior consultant and vet tech that an animal bites out of nowhere. Um, usually there's quite a few signs. Now we may miss those signs, not maliciously, but from our perspective, it may appear as if that cat bit out of nowhere. But the good news is once we start to understand how our cat communicates with us, which is via body language, we can better understand and respect our kitties. So some common signs that I see where a cat communicates with us that they may be uncomfortable or becoming aroused where they may bite is one big thing is your cat looks at you. So looks at your hand. Again, super subtle and easy to miss. Now it's not so subtle to me. Once you recognize it, it's pretty loud. Um, so it's really important to, as you pet your cat, to first off, interact with them in a way they enjoy. You guys know what your cat's like. For example, I love hugs, even, well, pandemics made it a little rougher, but I love hugs. I'm super extroverted. My husband is well socialized as well, but if a stranger hugged him, it would make him very uncomfortable. So some cats don't like to be held and that's okay. Some cats like to have one long stroke. Most cats don't like various strokes to be fair. So again, first thing, identify the way your cat likes to be touched and interact with them in a way they enjoy. And then those signs that you mentioned would be, again, looking at your hand for only a second. Their ears may go from forward to just airplane mode. So not all the way in the back of their head. That's severe fear and stress. So hopefully we're not seeing that when we pet our kitties. But their ears may go into the airplane mode. Their tail may start swishing, maybe just the tip or the entire tail. And you'll notice over time, for example, if I'm watching a video of a client petting their cat because we're working together and I start to see the cat's tail move a little bit, then it starts moving faster and maybe even thumping. So again, that, that, that stress and anxiety or arousal is increasing. So those are signs to stop. And then also, of course, your cat actively trying to get away. <laughs> um, Trying to, because I think commonly, I understand we love our kitties, but I always joke with my kid and adult clients, I have stuffed animals for that. Like Mikel mentioned, I have a unicorn stuffed animal in my <laughs> in my office. Because um, many cats don't like to be cuddled or hugged. Um, so I think the hand, the ears back or to the side, the tail swishing are pretty big ones, or even your cat, sometimes a cat will just vocalize. Like, again, this is specific to the cat, but they might go meow. And we need to listen to that because of course a cat can also bite or scratch, 
But in many cases, that cat has given quite a few signs for us to please stop. And guys, if we don't stop, obviously we should stop when they scratch or bite, but that's a pretty bad interaction for that cat. And it's really important for us to be providing positive social interactions. And in many cases, cats don't have those. We usually approach them without getting consent. And then, so it ends, it starts on not the best note. And then it ends when, again, they given, they've given us a lot of signs. And the only thing that made us stop is if they scratched and bit us. So again, started and ended on a negative note. And bless cats, you guys, because I'll be honest, from a veterinary standpoint, from a, a handling standpoint, from a caregiver standpoint, most cats' interactions with us humans aren't great. And they're still just the sweetest thing. They can be very, very tolerant. And I, I think sometimes for us as people, like as you're mentioning, like hugs, being held, like we have these concepts in our mind of what our cat should enjoy, or maybe the cat enjoys them at certain times of day or like when it's on their own terms, like, you know, if they do the approach and uh, for instance, you know, maybe even I think that there's also that misconception and that, that like shock almost like where the cat comes and lies on someone's lap. And they start petting and then the cat bites. But, you know, in our minds, it's like, well, the cat came up. They were soliciting, you know, that affection. But just the cat being near or being on your lap doesn't necessarily mean that they want to be pet or that they want to be pet for a prolonged period of time or in certain areas of their bodies. I know some cats can be so sensitive, for instance, like going down their back, like anything below the neck sometimes can be somewhat of a danger zone. There are some cats that, that seem to really like, you know, maybe like above the tail or certain places, but have you found uh, there like that same thing with people like being so, so surprised? Yeah. I think that's a really good point. So how I mentioned before, we should interact with a cat, our cats, a cat in a way they enjoy. And of course, every cat that's going to differ just like the example with me and my husband. and But what we do know is most cats, based on research and my experiences as well, enjoy petting on their head, shoulders, and neck. So for example, if I'm meeting a stranger cat, which I, working with shelters, with clients, and in vet med, guys, a lot of the cats I meet, what I mean by that, it's the first time meeting them. So I'm going to use considered approach, which may be approaching from the side, avoiding eye contact, not speaking loudly, and maybe keeping my arm close to me. Because a lot of times we extend our arm. Guys, that's scary for dogs too. Um, so I'm going to keep my arm close to me. And if that cat's approaching with that, those ears forward, almond-shaped eyes, tail up, and let's say they smell my hand or my finger, and then they lean in, literally guys, they lean in, that's them giving me consent. So I'm going to pet them once or twice for very short strokes on their head, neck, and shoulders. If they lean in again, cool. I'm going to pet them again. But this is a stranger cat. And I just started and ended on a positive note. And I can't tell you how many clients are like, you're a cat whisperer. And I'm like, nope, this isn't. I tell my clients very clearly, there is nothing magic about what I'm doing. <laughs> I, I want, not that I don't love being called a magician, but we're using science-based positive reinforcement training, and I'm interacting with your cat in a way that is kind. Um, and I I really think that's important. Not that I don't love people thinking I'm awesome, but um, it's I'm like, you, your cat can love you and other guests as well. It's just really important for us to use that considered approach. And 
I love the example you use with the lap because I see that happen a lot. And to be fair, I think I used to be a person that before I knew no better, do better, right? Before I got into cat behavior, even as a vet tech, I maybe identified consent as a cat laying on my lap. That is definitely not consent because again, now if your cat leans into your hand, that's a little different. Just like, and sometimes your cat will actually lean all of their weight into you like a dog does. I have one cat that does the whole body um, for the consent. But I always like to use the analogy of, let's say I had a really long day and I'm tired. I love my partner very much. Um, We have a happy consent-based relationship. And I hope you do too. Um, But I sit on the couch right next to him. Guys, I'm not giving him consent to do all the things. We're cuddling. And that's, that's what we're doing. So... Because like you said, a lot of cat, a lot of cat caregivers will say, "On my cat, I don't hear this about dogs as much." Again, that's where that societal negative stereotype cat thing happens. But my cat likes to be petted on their own terms. Hey guys, you should also be petted on your own terms, and I hope you are. Thankfully, consent is becoming um, something in our culture we're talking about, not only with animals but with humans too. So you should be interacting with your cat on their own terms. <laughs> I love, I love that example. I think that that is just perfect. Perfect. As we're talking oh, about perfect. Cats. Yeah. Plan you guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so one of the other things too, so as you're talking about consent, you also mentioned earlier about choice, giving our cats choices. So giving your cat a choice, for instance, to go in that safe room when you have a visitor coming over, uh, giving them that choice to approach initially rather than us going up to them. Why is choice so important for cats? And in what ways can we really honor and respect that need for choice in their lives? I think just like with humans, right? The cool thing is animals learn very similar to us lovely humans. So choices are important. If you're, whether it's providing various water receptacles, because every cat, I have five cats and they all have specific places or types of things they like to drink water out of. And choices are, are helpful. They help to empower your cat they help to give your cat more options. Like let's say you have a dog or another cat and there might be some tension. There very likely is. Um, That's me from a behavior consultant standpoint, to be fair. Um, I want your cat to have a choice to not have to pass the dog they may be afraid of to go to the bathroom. Like let's say you only have one litter box and they have to think about, I have anxiety passing this dog, but my only choice is to go past the dog to go to the bathroom. I understand why that cat would choose to go in the corner of a room instead, because from the corner, prey predator again, they can see everything that's going to come attack them, where they pee and house soil. I joke that I'm a pee detective. It matters, which is why we like to keep a journal. And some things as far as how to keep your, give your cat choices. And honestly, these are things that I, provide my clients with any behavior issue, because I think meeting those physical and mental needs and ruling out and addressing medical issues is the first part of any behavior concern I deal with. So I think providing your cat with a safe place, providing your cat with multiple and separate key resources. So what I mean by that is we've all heard the, 
you know, one box per cat plus one. There's a reason why that exists. There's quite a few reasons why that exists. A big one is choices. And we don't want the cats to have fighting over resources, which is so common. We want to provide your cats with prey and play and prey predatory behavior. So play, puzzle toys, those things we were talking about earlier. And then those positive, consistent, and social interactions. I cannot... I can't talk about that enough because I think, especially with Fear Free, it's very common that cats do not like vet-related things. Cat carriers, travel, handling, gentle control. I don't love the restraint word. See, language we use matters. Um, so interacting. The reason why is, especially as someone who learned quite a long time ago, handling techniques, know better, do better, and interact and handle cats in a very different way, very rarely were we giving them choices or even assessing or respecting their body language. We were using a lot of force and what we would call traditional restraint, which wasn't great, which is why if that's most cats' experiences, I understand why they run from the carrier and don't like the vet. The good news is there's lots we can do even if your cat has had past negative experiences. So don't lose hope. <laughs> I, I love that. So, so you mentioned fear-free and that, that big difference. So even just language wise, when you talk about restraint versus gentle control, can you explain that a little bit more for our listeners? Yeah. It's funny because as I've gotten into behavior, I think I've gotten, I'm very aware of what I put out in the world because I understand how it gets perceived. And sometimes it can get perceived wrong um, so trial and error learning, right? So I am very aware of what I put out in the world. And that goes down to the language I use. Um, for example, I would never call a cat fractious. That's a word in shelter and vet med I would like us to get away from. Um, what, what we should actually be doing is describing the behavior, which tends to fall under that label fearful, uh, which is very way more appropriate. And restraint, I feel like it's the same thing. When you think of restraint, guys, let's be honest, I'm a vet tech. And when I think of restraint, I think of like a horror movie and someone being strapped down to a chair. I'm, I'm not thinking at all kind and compassionate handling. Um, and that's, again, that's just involuntary, guys. That's where our brains go. So to me, restraint is like force, hold them down when they move hold them harder, which actually escalates to fear and stress and makes it harder for all of us. But again, these are things we know now. So instead, I like to use compassionate handling, gentle control, or even handling instead, because even if the human doesn't realize it, their approach to that cat is going to be kinder with the word handling. Just like if I saw a fractious sign on a cage or a, a note, like, I, as a behavior consultant, would say, this is data. This tells me the staff is afraid of the cat. It tells me nothing else. Um, versus, and if I'm someone that isn't familiar with behavior, guys, I don't want to go to the fractious cat. I'm going to be upset. I'm going to be tense. My body language is in, like, it's involuntary. Versus if the cat, if it said fearful, I'm going to soften up. I'm going to be quiet. I'm going to use considered approach without even knowing what it is. So I think the language we use not only to describe cats, but everything is is really important. I love that. I, I think of, you know, a dog example would be teaching them a cue versus a command. 
And with with cats, it's like I think people have realized for you know as long as they're we've been around cats, you know, cats you you know, when we think of like that part of, um, you know, being fractious or fearful, you know, the cat's not going to respond. Dogs can be so overly tolerant to the point of it actually, I think, becoming a fault where we get away, you know, we've gotten away for generations with doing stuff to dogs that it's just like awful in the name of training. And so, you know, and cats like, you know, they, I mean, cats are, as you've mentioned, they can be extremely tolerant as well, but you are not going to give a command to enforce a cat to do something or a, a whale to do something, or I worked with orangutans, you're not going to force an orangutan to do something. You know, it's more about, you know, teaching them and, you know, making it worth their while. So just like, you know, an animal that that is trained uh, at a sanctuary, for instance, you know, really motivating them through things that they want. So whether it's fish or it's certain treats or it's, you know, even scratching in places that they like, you know, same thing with dogs. And, and that's the cool thing is it's changing from a command, which, you know, really implies it's the language of you're forcing them, you're making them do that. They're listening to you. Yes, exactly. Yeah, do this or else. And a cue is like, hey, there's this opportunity to earn a reward. And so it's this taught behavior. It's a totally different way of thinking and interacting with your pet. And so I, I completely get that when you're, you're talking about that with the cats. Another myth I commonly hear, which hurts my heart, that cats can't be trained. You guys, they are such intelligent creatures. I teach dogs as well, but I clicker train cats, which is a type of positive reinforcement marker training where we use a marker like a click, for example, to tell the cat, just like with a dog, to communicate, this is what I wanted in that moment, kind of like a camera. So I tend to use marker training, but cats are very, very smart. And I use clicker training in my behavior modification for aggression house soiling, all of these common behavior concerns. And sometimes it might be more of a nuisance type behavior, like destructive scratching, which in many cases, that cat didn't have the appropriate outlets to begin with. because um, Cats need to scratch. So again, I think it's it's really important to provide those, those things we were talking about. And remember that cats can be trained and guys, they're actually learning all the time. So every interaction we have with the cat whether we are a shelter employee, a cat caregiver, a friend of a cat caregiver, we are teaching them stuff. Um, so I know it's a lot of pressure, but it's also kind of cool because now that we know that, we can work to make interactions positive for cats and, and even teach them, like, if they are afraid of carriers, we can use behavior modification techniques to help them become not only more comfortable with that carrier, but to have a positive emotional response about that carrier. My cats are going their carrier on cue. They love it. My cats are harness trained and go for walks. Now, harness training isn't just throwing a harness on a kitty because I see that happen a lot. We want to break it down into small steps and work with your cat. But just like with dogs, using aversives or types of essentially punishers, so things that the animal may not like, and this may be what I commonly see with cats is spray bottles. They are for watering your plants, guys, not for your kitties or um, yelling, hitting, scat mats, which guys, people are so surprised these things exist. It's literally a mat that shocks your cat. What? Um, but these things are out there. And if you don't know, I understand how you might use some of these tools. And the thing is, instead, we shouldn't be using those things that can increase fear and stress. 
they can damage the relationship with your pet. You love your cat and you don't want them to be afraid of you. And the other thing is it doesn't teach your cat what you want them to do. So it, it doesn't actually help to prevent or manage in many cases the behavior because the cat's completely unsure of what you want them to do. So instead, with positive reinforcement trainer training, we focus on what we want them to do and provide them with clear criteria. If any of you had had have had a job, which I'm sure many of you have, I have, where you weren't given clear criteria and then you were yelled at or punished, which is punishment for some people. Some people might not find that as aversive as I do. That is very, very frustrating. <laughs> so, but I see that happen with our cat and dog friends a lot. We don't tell them what to do. We don't set up an environment where their needs are met. And then we use these punishers, which most of my cat caregivers, it's great because I'm like, how is that working out? Because I'm gathering more information as a consultant. I'm not judging. That's probably what they found on the internet. They're doing the best with what they know. And the good news is usually they're like, they're still doing it. Of course they are. <laughs> Or, or there's more issues because a lot of the behavior issues I see are caused by fear and stress. So the last thing we want to do is escalate that. So for example, like if your cat is counter surfing, right, we're going to manage the, the issue by not leaving chicken on the counter or other delicious, like yummy foods in the sink which may just be leftovers to you, like a few pieces. But if your cat eats that, that that's very reinforcing. Also, because we're going to identify the function. Is it food on the counter? Is it there's a sunspot there and there's no other sunspots in the house? Is it that's your cat's safe place? Because in the main living area, there's no other vertical spaces for your cat, not only to get away from the other cats or the dog, but just in general. So these are all things we need to consider. So we're going to manage it by keeping food off of it. We're going to provide safe spaces and talk about meeting those needs we talked about before or do those things. And then I'm going to teach, focus on the behavior I want, which, hey, dude, I'm totally cool with you because sometimes also the motivation is you're in your kitchen a lot. They love you. They want to be near you. So, dude, I'm just going to have a kitchen chair or even a cat tree that's a few feet away from the kitchen. And I'm just going to reinforce my cat for stationing or staying on that. And at first, we're going to have to do it at a high rate of reinforcement, meaning we give them quite a lot of treats in that minute time so they can understand what we want. But literally, I just cue the cat to go there. And then it's awesome. Yes. Yeah, that and that's clear criteria. You are teaching them step by step rather than expecting too much too fast, which can be overwhelming, confusing, kind of setting them up for failure. So I love that breaking it down. It makes me think a lot as you were talking about our foster cat Milo and he was this stray and just, oh gosh, he has the best home now. It just makes me so happy. I get updates like daily almost about how he's doing. And oh, just, I, I he was one of those cats where I'm like, oh, I, I knew we have a, a little, uh, our, our problem child is our little dog Otis. We were his fifth home by the time he was seven months of age. He's our little hot mess. He's so loved. But I, I, I was like, oh, I don't know. Cause I mean, literally it was one of those things where there was a snowstorm coming in we had visited our friends to drop off Christmas presents and there's this cat out there and they're like, Oh yeah, you know, he's, he's just been here for months and you know, he just, yeah, no one's 
come to get him. Uh, we don't think he belongs to anybody. And so uh, lo and behold, we end up going home with the cat uh, because I couldn't stand the thought of this cat literally being out in this, this snowstorm that's supposed to bring over a foot of snow. And, uh, you know, going into it, I was like, I don't, you know, I is first and foremost, you know, we want to think about, you know, welfare of our own pets. And I had uh, uh, one of my dogs is great with other dog or with other dogs and cats. And the other dog, Otis, the hot mess one is he's very selective. And I think that goes back to probably socialization because, you know, not knowing what he experienced, I, I'm pretty positive. He probably didn't have much exposure, if any, to cats and definitely not positive. So he's the type that always wants to chase and, also gets really stressed and, you know, has the really big pug eyes, which can be very dangerous with a cat that's a, a little higher risk. So we did all kinds of things, you know, trying to, to see if we could make it work. And and in the end, I was like, gosh, you know, Milo is one of those cats who just wants to be with people 24 seven right there with you. And for trying to integrate him in with Otis, the dog, who is, you know, so upset, wants to chase, but also really afraid um, it was just very high stress. And I thought, gosh, you know, it's something we could probably do this. We, we did all kinds of things where we had the rec specs with the, the doggles that he was trained to wear and he'd wear those. We were doing sessions. We have them right next to each other doing well, but you know, it's one of those things where it, it's, it was going to be a very, very long process to get there. And thankfully found this family that just, you know, had been looking for a cat exactly like him. And, but what was really cool during the time that, that we had him for a couple of months was just teaching him new behaviors because he really came to us, I, I think, not really knowing how to interact properly with people. So, for instance, when when we go to interact with them, he would literally crawl up your leg, like, like jump up your leg, climb it like a tree to get up to you. And yeah, that's that's not uh, not very welcome, uh, especially when you're wearing like <laughs> like I'm wearing my kitty corn jammies or any thin pants. It's like, oh, my goodness, you you're yeah, that that really hurts. So I was like, OK, we're going to have to work on that. And we had quite a few different things. And but what is really neat is like with cats, it's it like training sounds really complex, but it's really very, very simple if we can break it down. So teaching him in, to interact with us at the start, it was, okay, we're gonna teach you, we go over to your cat tree. So we'll, we say the word tree, have him go over there. And at first we were using toys or treats to kind of lure him over to that area. He's getting that reward. Then he gets pet and he gets that invitation to, to get up on our chest and then we're gonna hold him because he just was such an affectionate, sweet cat. And eventually it was really cool because we would just say the word tree, run over his tree, over to his tree. And then we would just say the word jump and he'd go flying into our arms on cue and so cute and just learned it so fast. And there, there were lots of things like that with him where, you know, teaching a sit, for instance, a, a nice flight sit uh, to get petting and attention, like these little simple things that sound complex, but really it really only took him a couple times before he's like, oh, I get that. Like, it just takes really taking that training and that time. Yeah. And I, I love that story. I love that you mentioned you brought this cat in and realized that due to your lifestyle and various other things that it's probably not the best fit, which is okay, guys. Uh, <laughs> that's okay. Um, and then found somebody that was a better fit, but also set him up for success by teaching him some generalized life skills. So for example, for the dog that jumps on you or the cat that jumps on you and hugs you, a lot of people like that behavior, but sometimes they don't, which is really conflicting as you guys can imagine for that animal. So 
what she did, which I love, which is something we commonly do is let's put that behavior on cue because we love it, but we can't, like you said, we can't have him, <laughs> like she's in a meeting and her cat just jumps at her, even though it's a loving jump. Um, so, hey, this is an easy thing. I'm going to capture this behavior, which means capturing when it, when your cat does the behavior, marking and reinforcing it and put it on cue. And now it's an adore. First off, it is the most, it's adorable, but also your cat has more clear criteria. They can still do the thing they like, just like I have really high energy and I'm excited all the time, but I can't be like that all the time. <laughs> like stimulus control and some of these general life skills, uh, which clicker training helps kitties in general with just stimulus control. And hey, I know you're really aroused right now, but I don't want you to be aroused 24 seven because not only is that most of the time that's due to that cat's needs not being met or even all of these issues we've been talking about, house soiling, aggression, please contact your veterinarian and rule out and address medical issues because like at Fear Free, we know this, but medicine or behavior is medicine. And I probably see underlying medical issues cause or contribute to more than 50% of my behavior cases. So again, now it's not all about going to the vet, behavior modification, creating an environment that's calm and happy for your cat, meeting their needs is important too. But so many of the times your cat may not like being petted because it hurts or your cat may become aggressive because they hurt. Those are such common things. And unfortunately, pain in cats is very underdiagnosed and we're getting better. But just like in humans, if you guys have chronic pain, I'm sending love to all of you. Everything in life is harder. Everything. And we really need to think about this with our cats, but stress too. All of you have stress. Let's be honest. It's okay. Let's kill that mental stigma stuff. And if a cat has stress, whether it's generalized all the time or situational where when people come over or uh, when I've party, again, there's so many specific triggers. When I go to the vet, we can do things to help, but we need to identify that that stress makes everything harder. Like your cat may not be getting along with your other cat. And it's not necessarily that cat, like something that cat's doing. Maybe it's that the, the other cat is just in a chronic state of stress. I'm definitely, I, I am, if I'm in a lot of dealing with a lot of stress, I'm definitely a little, a little more snippier. I'm trying, I do my best guys, but I'm human. I'm just being honest. The good news is I'm, I'm aware of it. Like I instantly say, Ah, because I'm dealing with an ankle injury right now. And I have recognized, because I'm so aware of it, which is the first step, that I'm a little shorter and I need a little <laughs> a little more time to myself right now because of my injury. So we need to think about that with our, our feline and, and our canine friends as well. I, I love that. Really, really good points there. So when going back, a couple of questions that I have would be, so thinking about handling our, our cats. And so if you've talked to your veterinarian, your cat is a little bit, uh, you know, maybe they, they just are very sensitive with handling, for instance, and you need to do something like insulin injections, or you're looking at trying to, to keep their nail shorter and maybe they aren't using their scratching posts as much as, as normal, which that, that in and of itself could potentially be a sign of pain or, or other issues going on. Right. Uh, so what would be some ways that we could 
help our cats to be more comfortable with any in-home handling that we might need to perform? I think, because in many cases, there is something called cooperative care where we literally means your animal plays a part in their own care. And again, that choice uh, makes everything better. So one of the things I teach in kitten kindergarten is like cats are taught how to happily accept medications, how to happily have their nails trimmed. And this is something you can start working on right away, whether your cat's one, three, 11, before they need medications or injections. And I do think, I think it's a life skill. Many people do. Uh, to me, they're just fun training games or cooperative care. And if we're in the moment where let's say your cat needs meds now, and we don't have a time, we don't have time to maybe do some of that prevention stuff. What we can do is do what we can, which there are a lot of things in our control. So a few of the things I may do is I'm going to set up a comfortable environment. If I have to put flea prevention on my cat or give them an injection. So I'm going to maybe have a non-slip mat. I love bath mats. They're awesome. I may give my cat a treat before, during, and after. And what I, what I'm going to do before that is make sure they like that treat. So that's that before part. I may put churro or another lickable treat. I think licking is also just a natural relaxing behavior. So we can definitely use hard treats as well um, at a higher rate of reinforcement. So giving more because we're doing something stressful and that's got to be a good treat. I'm going out for burritos. I'm not going out for salad. You might find salad reinforcing, but I don't. Um, so we're going to have really yummy treats ahead of time on a licky mat or even a plate. You could just spread that lickable treat really thin. You put it on the mat, your cat comes. So now already we have choice involved. I'm going to use considered approach no matter what I'm doing, brushing, giving an injection, which means approaching from the side, not looming over my cat, not reaching over my cat's head. You guys, it makes a big difference. Um, I'm going to assess their body language. And then I may start to touch the area before I give the injection. Cause if they're uncomfortable with that, they're going to be uncomfortable when you give the injection. And also from a, from a caregiver standpoint, you guys aren't vet techs. So something I teach my clients are how to hold the syringe prior to actually adding a cat. You're already stressed out. You love your cats. They're probably dealing with some medical issue, which causes us stress. So if you're giving oral medication with a syringe, practice holding that syringe and giving it just in general without your cat, practice holding that syringe with the insulin in it. And your vet will happily, most vets, we have you actually practice with saline in the hospital so you feel more comfortable without your cat because that's a that's a skill. I'm a tech, so it's it's something I learned a long time ago, but that's something that as a caregiver, it makes sense for you not to know how to do that. And for me to just say, do this without breaking it down for you as a learner isn't great. And then from our cat's perspective, you can also do end on a fun note. So let's say your cat's a little too nervous in the moment to eat because that's a sign that they might be a little stressed. What can we do in the moment to decrease stress right away? Because we can't control everything. At the end, we're going to do a play session with her favorite wand toy or a big thing I love doing is taking hard treats and tossing them against the wall. Or if you don't have carpet like me and have wood floors, that's even better. Tossing treats along the floor, because what we're doing is we're ending on a positive note. And if that's all we can control, let's take it. 
because more of those experiences are going to matter. And not only are they getting the treats, which is reinforcing, but the chase of the treats is very reinforcing. And that sound really gets cats excited because they're kitties. So those are a few things that you can start to do immediately to help make things less stressful. Absolutely. And I, I think too of like of trying to adjust to what the cat likes and what they're most comfortable with. I like how you were talking about setting up that comfortable space for them. And I think back to Milo, I was working with him on on nail trims, getting him used to different things like being pilled and, and just kind of helping prep him for life. And one thing with him is he was most comfortable with me holding him because he'd like to be kind of held like a baby. And that was the easiest way to do his nail trims was where he was comfortable and maybe I just did one or two and then we stopped. And if he was comfortable, we could do more. But I think sometimes we get it in our mind. We have to do everything right now. We're going to get it done versus like, you know, kind of going at their pace, not pushing it. And sometimes like figuring out what they really like, like Milo was such a, an affectionate cat just wants to be right there with you all the time that like petting for him. I mean, his happy place was being on top of you. And then petting was like the ultimate reinforcer. So for him, it surprisingly worked even better than the tastiest treats, but definitely not for all cats. Like every cat is so unique. And, and that's what you said in the very beginning is like, you know, figuring out what you can do for that individual. And I love that example. So you identified where that cat enjoys to be and you're like, let's do that here. So you probably noticed in my examples, I didn't mention force or, or restraint. Um, now I'm not saying that in some cases, some gentle handling won't be needed, but I want you to practice that. That's another thing. Practice that without your cat first. Um, cause I know the burrito, for example, is a very common thing, but there's a lot of skill to the burrito guys. You're like, as someone that teaches handling, um, your elbows need to be in a specific plate. Like it's not just tossing a towel over a cat. And in many cases, especially with caregivers at home, you don't need to use that type of handling. If we just break it down into these small steps and allow your cat to come to you, I can't tell you how many clients I've worked with and I've utilized these things, considered approach and setting up the environment to be comfortable, finding things the cat likes, starting and ending on something fun, like it's a fun game. And they've done great when the, the cat used to run away at the site of the medications or nail trimmers. So you also brought up a really good point about if it is a nail trim, so that's not necessarily a medication that your cat needs immediately. Guys, it's okay. You, you don't need to do it right now. Medically, your cats are fine. So what we could do is like we would do with anything, we're gonna break that down into really small steps. To start, maybe one of the things I would recommend doing now, you guys, if if your cat isn't needing any medical care is, you know, have a set up a non-slip mat and a place and around the same time, give them a treat there every day. And what you're going to start noticing is your cat is going to just be waiting there <laughs> um, without you there, which is half the battle with medications. They're running away from you or even nail trim. So that's something you guys can start doing right away. But again, it might be, okay, I'm going to pet my cat touch their paw and that's the end of the session if they are turning their heads away or take their paw back. So we're gonna end the session when we're seeing minimal to no stress. So if your cat is showing lots of signs of stress, we're gonna go a step back because 
yeah, you may only cut one nail, but guys, before you weren't cutting any, or you were, but you were being scratched up and your cat would hide for two days. That's some severe stress, you guys. So let's break it down into small steps, whether it's brushing or nail trims, and we're going to break it down into small steps, keep each step positive. And if your cat does show signs of fear and stress, that's okay, but we're going to end on a positive note. And then at the next session, we're going to start at the session the cat was successful, as in the cat was showing no stress. I love that. I, I think that's so important. And I, I like how you're mentioning like the burrito wrap of the cat. And I think that there are those cats that have had previous negative experiences with being toweled or being blanketed in a way that was really scary. Like like with Milo, for instance, as soon as I brought out, I thought, okay, sometimes like in the veterinary hospital, some cats really do feel more comfortable if they have that option to hide. So doing like, for instance, a common general control technique that can work well with some cats is, you know, to have that, that towel over the top of them um, in a way that they're comfortable with. And also sometimes having an additional towel so that they can hide. So especially like for their, their face, their head, being able to be hidden, uh, that can help them feel more secure. But like definitely cats are those individuals like with Milo, as soon as I try as he saw the towel or even when I tried to present it in different ways, it, he was definitely not having it. It was just immediate. As soon as he saw it, you know, his ears go back, he runs and hides and even trying to present it in different ways. So even without knowing his past history, I'm, I'm pretty sure he probably had some ne negative experiences before with that. So I, I think that that's important to not think, I, I think you know, sometimes we think, okay, well, towel handling, that can be less stressful for cats, but it really depends so much on the cat, doesn't it? And that was great. So you took the towel out and at a, a short distance, you, I, this is where body language is huge, guys. It's so important for us to understand how our cats communicate. She identified that, whoa, this thing's just at a distance from my kitty. And when I brought it out and she wasn't like throwing it at her cat or anything, at a distance, she noticed that her cat's fear and stress elevated. So she was like, so we're not going to use this <laughs> um, because that's going to definitely make it worse. And and as far as, because I do work with a lot of clients on medication training and, and things like that from a veterinarian and behavior standpoint, because sometimes your cat needs that medication to feel better or feel good in that moment. And it can be really difficult to give those medications. So sometimes we just don't give them because we don't know how or it's not safe. Or we we do give them, but it's so, I mean, I love the cat caregivers I work with, with cooperative care. And you see the the stress that they deal with and the how hard it is to, they're like, we got the medication in, but my cat is now withdrawn all the time. Um, so in those cases, you guys do some of those things we mentioned, but also people like me and other veterinary behavior professionals are there to help you and your vet, they may not know behavior, but they can point you in the right direction. And if they are more experienced in behavior, they can help you right in the moment as far as, Hey, maybe we'll try a different type of medication, or maybe we'll have your technician a technician work with you again, let me show you how to hold the syringe again. Those things are really important without the cat. I can't stress it enough. And then you feel more confident and you're more confident and familiar with the skill sets, whether it's using a towel, holding a syringe. But again, there's tons of options out there. There are tiny tablets and different flavors of medication. And I'm not saying that one thing 
is going to make it perfect. But sometimes I think we just feel like there's nothing we can do. And even if your cat is receiving medications right now, reach out to your veterinarian, reach out to your behavior veterinarian professionals. And we are here to help because we understand how horribly stressful it is, but we also know that your cat needs the medications. And I think so many of us, so many of the clients I work with don't realize that there is help. And a lot of the things we've talked about in this podcast, they don't even know about those things because no one's really sharing that information. There's just all the joke memes that "Ah, I can't pill a cat, all these, you guys, these stereotypical cat memes, I just can't. Um, But that's what they're seeing as cat caregivers. And guys, it doesn't have to be that way. I just had to say that. 100%. Well, I, I love that. Thank you so much, Tabitha. Thank you so much for having me and sending love to all of your amazing cats out there. And thank you guys for listening and doing better by your kitties. Thank you for joining us for Happy Paws. We hope you continue tuning in every two weeks as we explore more about your pets. On the next episode, we're joined again by Lori Chamberlain, Fear Freeze Education Manager, for another session of Trainer Talk. On this edition, Mikkel and Lori will discuss barking, the causes, the effects, training tips, and how you can create a healthy relationship with barking for you and your dog. Make sure you subscribe to avoid missing out on any upcoming Happy Paws episodes. And if you enjoyed this episode, We'd love it if you took a minute and left us a review. For more content like this and much more, visit us at fearfreehappyhomes.com. Our music is by 310. That's the number 3, the word 1, and the word O. Follow them on Instagram at 310official and listen to them on Spotify or wherever else you find your music.